This is the Bible Speaks to You podcast, episode 101. Today we're talking about a sensitive topic, overcoming lust. And guys, it's not about what the women are wearing. Welcome to the Bible Speaks to You podcast. This is the place to be to rediscover the original Christianity of Jesus. Each week, we talk about how Jesus wanted us to think and act and pray and live our daily lives. And we dig down into the mindset of Jesus to discover how we can think and act like he did. The goal is to experience more of Jesus' promise that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hey there, and welcome again to the Bible Speaks to You podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I really appreciate you being here. Today we're talking about perhaps not the most comfortable topic, but it's really important for our spiritual growth. It's about overcoming lust. And guys, I want to tell you, it's not about what women are wearing. I've been thinking about this topic a lot lately because of things I've seen on the internet and comments about this from lots of different perspectives. There's a lot of talk among some religious circles today about the importance of what kind of clothes women should wear. Women are told they should dress modestly so that when men look at them, the men won't see a low neckline or a high hemline and therefore be filled with lustful thoughts. The women are told they should not cause their brothers to stumble by what they wear. This implies that it's the woman's responsibility to keep a man from having lustful thoughts. This whole attitude reinforces the stereotype of men as unable to control their own thoughts. It affirms that men are slaves to whatever women wear and they can't think for themselves. Think about that, guys. Now, of course, some women dress on purpose in a way to entice a man's sexual desires. How a woman dresses is on her, but how a man responds is on him. A lot of it really comes down to the motive for deciding what to wear. Let's talk about that word modest and what it really means. This comes up because of a scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. It says that women should adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. There are several things we need to unpack here. That word modest in Greek is kosimos. It comes from a root word which means orderly arrangement. The word actually means decorous, orderly, of good behavior, well arranged, seemly. The translation I just read from is the New King James Version, and the word propriety in the King James is translated shamefacedness. That word in Greek is Idos. It can also mean reverence. The only other place that word is used in the Bible is in 
Hebrews 12.28 Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence, eidos, and godly fear. You wouldn't say with shamefacedness in that context. It's the same word. It means with reverence. So what this verse is saying is that women should dress in an orderly way, well-arranged, seemly, decorous, to express her self-worth and her value. It does not necessarily mean modest, as that word is used today by some church circles, to define what women should wear. And there's one more place where the word kosimos is used in the Bible, which we translate as modest, when it refers to a bishop. This is 1 Timothy 3, 2. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, and that word good behavior is kosimos, which for the woman is translated modest, but for the bishop, it's translated good behavior. This is why it's important to dig a little deeper into the Bible and not just take one Bible translation. We need to get back to these original meanings of the words, and I'll be the first to admit, I am not a Greek scholar, so I can't give you the final word on this. I'm just sharing what I found in my own research. But whatever that word kosimos means, whether it means modest or whether it means of good behavior, seemly, well-arranged, let's use the word modest. Even if every woman dressed modestly, according to the definition of these self-appointed regulators of what the word modest means and how that should be reflected in the way women dress, it would not solve the problem. The guy who is lustful will still be lustful. Guys, if you have lust in your heart, it won't matter how a woman is dressed, you're still going to feel those lustful thoughts. And if you think the solution is outside of yourself and is based on what a woman wears, you're really kind of deluding yourself. Jesus makes this clear in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5:28, when he says, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is talking about what's already in your heart. It's each person's responsibility to conquer whatever sins they're tempted with. I'm not saying that a fellow who sees an immodestly dressed woman won't be tempted, but let's be clear here. The temptation does not come because he sees someone with a low neckline or in a skimpy bathing suit. The temptation comes from within his own heart. The book of James puts it this way. This is James 1.14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. When a guy has those lustful or fleshly desires, whatever you want to call it, it's already in his heart. But when he sees something that arouses those desires, he thinks that the cause is something outside of himself, and then he blames someone or something else. He even says to himself, well, it's the way she was dressed that made me feel that way. I couldn't help it. Really? 
When are we going to start accepting responsibility for our own thinking? How often do we blame others for our own faults? This is not just a problem guys have. Women have the same tendency at times. It's an aspect of one of the lower levels of human nature. It's the response of a human heart which has not yielded to Christ. Can you think of anyone in the Bible who blames someone else for his sins and didn't take responsibility? The one that comes to my mind is Adam. When he sinned and got caught, what was his first inclination? To blame Eve. What if Adam had said, Lord, you're right, I have sinned. You told me not to eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but I did it anyway. Eve offered me the fruit, and I should have said no. I was influenced by her, but I accept full responsibility for my actions. I am so sorry. Please forgive me. But we all know that's not what happened. He blamed Eve, and in effect, God as well. Here's what Adam is really saying. Lord, you gave that woman to me and she caused me to disobey you. So really it's your fault for giving her to me. Again, I'll ask the question, when are we going to learn to take responsibility for our own actions? Guys, now is the time for us to take full responsibility for our thoughts. We have to take responsibility for the actions which result from those thoughts. One of the goals for the Bible Speaks to You podcast is to get back to the original message of Christ, to embrace the mindset of Jesus. The real solution to overcoming lustful thoughts, both for men and women, comes from a complete change of thought. Instead of thinking and responding like Adam and Eve did, The only way we can truly find freedom from lustful thoughts is to embrace Christly thoughts. It's a shift from the Adam mindset to the mindset of Jesus. Jesus gave us not only an example of how to live our lives in the way he lived his life, he also gave us tools with which to face and overcome the temptations that loom up in our hearts. If you're a regular listener to the Bible Speaks to You podcast, you can probably guess where I'm going to say you can find those tools. You got it, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gives some very clear directions on how to overcome sin, especially lustful thinking, in this sermon. Let's look at the Beatitudes. They can all be used prayerfully to deal with any situation or temptation, but a couple of them especially are helpful in this context. This is Matthew 5, verses 6 and 8. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Jesus is saying the way to overcome lust, which you could say is a hunger and thirst for something material, is to replace it with a hunger and thirst for something spiritual. When you lust after something, and it's not just a sexual lust I'm talking about here, it could be a lust for power, money, fame, or whatever. 
when you get what you lust for, it never satisfies past the moment. It never fills that void in you. It can't. You always want more, and you can never get enough. But when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, the things of God, Jesus promises you will be satisfied, you will be filled. And this is so true. Jesus gives us a very high standard in his invitation to be pure in heart. And this is really the key to overcoming sin of any kind, and specifically lust. Sometimes I think we fail to overcome a particular sin because we're trying too hard to overcome it. We focus all our energy on getting rid of bad behavior. That's usually the wrong approach. And Jesus points out a much better way. Instead of focusing all your effort on getting rid of the sin, focus on God, on hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Focus on purity in your heart. Pour in the things of God into your heart. Have an earnest desire for them. And those righteous desires will chase away all sinful thoughts. So, the place to start is in your heart. Jesus says, Matthew 15, verse 19, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. You can't change outward behavior by just trying to change outward behavior. We have to go to the source, which is the heart, or rather our thinking, our affections. But how do we deal with those lustful thoughts in our hearts? And how did those lustful thoughts get in our heart in the first place? And even more fundamentally, what actually is lust? Well, let's start there. What is lust itself? You may think lust is sexual attraction to someone or the uncontrollable desire for power or money or whatever. But the real root of lust is the belief that you are not complete. And it all goes back to the lie that the serpent planted in Eve's heart that there was something missing, that she needed something outside of herself to make her complete. When you believe you're lacking something in your life or in your very being, there's an unsatisfiable desire to get it at whatever cost and by whatever means. But the solution is always something external. The piece of fruit, in Adam and Eve's case, or for us, it's a new car, a bigger house, a spouse, a new magic pill or procedure to make you prettier, slimmer, smarter. The list goes on and on. Lust is basically the counterfeit of love, the need to love and to be loved. And what is a counterfeit dollar bill worth? The same as a briefcase full of counterfeit hundred-dollar bills. Nothing. But as long as you believe the counterfeit is real, you think there's value there. As soon as you see a counterfeit for what it is, it's as worthless to you as it was all along. Its value was all in your thinking. So it is with lust. 
The pleasure that we think we get from lustful thoughts and actions is a counterfeit of love. It's always valueless and will never satisfy the heart's true desire for love, to love and be loved. So how did these lustful thoughts, this belief that we're not complete, get into our hearts? Some theological doctrines insist that we were born that way. That's just part of how we're made. In effect, they blame God for creating us this way, just as Adam blamed God for giving Eve to him, thus causing him to sin. But just as with Adam and Eve, so with us, it is the serpent which plants the lie in our hearts that we lack something and that the solution is something external to us. This is what I call the Adam mindset. When we see ourselves as incomplete and a mixture of good and evil, flesh and spirit. The only remedy is the Christly mindset of Jesus, which declares, as Jesus did, this is John 16, verse 15, all that belongs to the Father is mine. Jesus knew that he was complete, that he had everything that belonged to the Father. But he was Jesus. Can we make that same bold declaration? I believe we can when we have discovered our identity in Christ. It really comes down to how you identify yourself. Do you see yourself as a child of Adam, of sin and incompleteness? Or do you see yourself as a child of the Most High God, complete and whole, having everything you need because all that belongs to the Father is yours? How you see yourself will determine a large part of what you experience. Where you start, mentally and spiritually, will affect how you proceed. Unfortunately, too often, even after we have embraced and accepted Christ, we somehow continue to identify with Adam more than with Jesus. But John writes, As many as received him, referring to Jesus, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That was John 1, 12 and 13. When you accept Christ, you're not a child of Adam anymore. You're born of God. Paul emphasizes this exact point in Romans 8, verse 9. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. The reason we struggle with the temptations of the flesh may be because we have more of the letter or knowledge of Christ and not more of the Spirit of Christ in our hearts. So, one of the ways to overcome lust is to imbibe more of the Spirit of Christ in your life and not just saying the words. Paul makes this clear in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
Another reason we sometimes give in to fleshly temptations is because we hear the Word of God, but then we don't live it in our lives. James puts it this way. This is James 1, 23 through 25. If anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. James is saying that the solution to forgetting that we are made in the image and likeness of God, that we are born of God and not of the flesh, and reminding us, as Paul says, that we are not in the flesh but in the spirit, the solution is to do what Jesus tells us to do. We need to obey his commands. The more you obey Jesus, the less likely you are to forget that you are a child of God. And the more that you remember you're a child of God, the less you'll feel the temptations of the flesh. But if we don't follow Jesus' teachings, and we don't earnestly yearn for righteousness, and we don't imbibe the Spirit of Christ, we'll keep identifying ourselves with Adam, and we'll be stuck in our sins. You may or may not be struggling with lustful temptations, and sometimes, I know from experience, we pretend like we're not, but way down deep, it's something that we haven't completely dealt with. And as I said earlier, it's not just men that have this challenge, but if you're struggling with this or know someone who is, I did a podcast episode several months ago that you might find helpful called Why is it so hard to put off the old self? That's episode 70, and I'll put that link in the show notes. I hope these ideas have been helpful. It's not always an easy thing to talk about, and it's not always easy to take an honest look at ourselves and admit that we have a problem to deal with. It's so much easier to blame someone else, and let me just reiterate, It's not about what the women are wearing. That's a whole nother issue. But because you love Christ, because you have an earnest desire to obey Christ, and because you are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, for the things of God, you will overcome these temptations. Because they are not part of who you are, they're just the serpent's whispered suggestions that you're not complete, that you can't stop sinning, that you're a mixture of good and evil. But that's not the way God made you. He made you in his image and likeness, pure and holy. The more that we can imbibe the Spirit of Christ and our sonship with the Father, these temptations will melt away like snowflakes falling in a fire. Thank you so much for listening today. I really appreciate you being here. My goal with the Bible Speaks to You podcast is to help you to be more Christ-like, to imbibe the mindset of Jesus in everything you do and think and say. And if you know anyone who would appreciate today's episode, 
please share it with them. If you have any comments or questions about today's episode, if you are struggling with some of the issues that we've talked about and could use a little spiritual support, please reach out to me. Go to the website, thebiblespeakstoyou.com, and click on the contact tab in the menu bar. Fill out the form and I'll be in touch. I would love to hear from you. If you're new to the Bible Speaks to You podcast, I encourage you to subscribe. Go to the website, thebiblespeakstoyou.com, and click the subscribe tab up in the menu bar. Fill out your name and email, and you're all set. As always, I'll have all the scriptural references mentioned today in the show notes. You can find those at thebiblespeakstoyou.com forward slash 101. This is episode 101. And if you missed last week's episode 100, I encourage you to go back and listen. This is the way I celebrated reaching 100 episodes. It's a compilation of 47 people telling who they would like to talk to in the Bible other than Jesus and what questions they would ask. It's a very powerful experience to hear these thoughtful questions from people all over the world. So if you haven't listened to that, I hope you'll do so. Thanks again so much for listening. I really appreciate you tuning in each week. And if I can be of any help to you spiritually, please let me know. That's it for this week. I'm James Early with the Bible Speaks to You podcast. Have a great week. Take care. We'll see you next time. God bless.